Let's let God speak to us in his word in Mark 15, 16 through 39. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarter. And they they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloth and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. They began to salute him, hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would... You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw this in this way, he breathed his last. He said, truly, this is the, this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. All right, good morning. Mark 15 is right at the tail end of the book of Mark. And... Um, there's just no way around it today. I've tried to think about ways that I can liven up the conversation, think about things that I can do to, to bring a little bit of sunlight to this moment. Then I'm reminded of um, Ecclesiastes, which says it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding, which means that in a place of mourning, in a place of death, it makes us perk up and think about life and eternity in a unique way. And today is a funeral. It is. This story is absolutely crazy. I feel like I've got new eyes to see it. My prayer is that you would have new eyes to see it. We live in the Bible Belt. And in the Bible Belt, we don't pay much attention to things like crosses. At the very least, we put them on our wall, and that's, that's a good thing to do. We wear them around our neck, that's a good thing to do. 
most places, a lot of churches, you would see a cross just on the stage or somewhere else, and that would be a good thing to do. We are people of the cross. But if you invited a first century Roman citizen into a church or an establishment, and there was a cross on the stage, they would be so offended and disgusted, they would immediately turn around and leave and never come back. And then they would tell everyone in the town how incredibly sadistic and disgusting your place was. I want you to imagine walking into this church today and seeing an electric chair on stage. Imagine seeing a gas chamber. Imagine that. How would you feel? (laughs) The cross is one of the worst things ever invented. The Romans invented the cross for the sole purpose. They literally got together and said, we need something so degrading, so shameful, so embarrassing. We need something that will strike so hard against a person's family name, against generations to come, that they will forever be remembered as the one who had that person crucified. We need something that was such a deterrent that brought so much humiliation and embarrassment and pain and suffering that everyone around would have heard of this person's crime and the penalty for it and they would not even come close to doing what they did. That's why they invented the cross. And it worked, man. The Pax Romana, which is the peace of Rome, it worked. The crucifixion brought peace. This one thing, people were so freaked out by it. The shame and embarrassment and crazy humiliation that surrounded it. They were so embarrassed, but it was a a public spectacle. They literally drew it out as much as they possibly could so that everyone would see In the last minutes of someone's life, everyone would see and mock and shame that person. That was the whole point. It worked. Nobody wanted to be crucified. If you walked into, as a first century Roman, if you walked into a place and saw a cross, the cross was treacherous. It was both disgusting and also absurd. It's the most agonizing and humiliating way to kill someone in the history of humanity. And to this day, nothing compares to it. It would literally break every article of the Geneva Convention. Today, my prayer is that we open our eyes and we see, we have to, listen to me, we have to, we have to see and feel the horror of the cross and then also see and feel the beauty of it. Both of those things are happening at the same time. The first thing, which you've already probably realized, the first point is this, the cross was not cute. There was nothing cute about it. I wanna back up right before what we just read. The chief priest, this is Mark 15, 11 through 15, right before verse 16, which is where we started. The chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him Release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, 
Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate was under the impression that Jesus was innocent because he actually was innocent. What we're seeing here is literally the most innocent person of all time is about to get the worst punishment of all time. And Pilate knew what a crucifixion was. He knew it was reserved for only the worst types of people imaginable. And he said, not only is he not the worst, he's actually the best. He's actually innocent. Why do you want to crucify an innocent man? Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He asked about Barabbas. Barabbas was a man who had led an insurrection against Rome. And in the process, someone died. It's interesting, Barabbas, because he kind of looks exactly like what they wanted Jesus to be. Come against Rome, raise the sword. Barabbas goes free and the true son of God takes his place. Actually, Barabbas' name means son of the father. How interesting is that? The true son of the father takes the place of the murderer. Religious leaders incited the crowd, it says. They said, crucify him. Pilate, fear of the crowd. He already had some bad reports. He knew his job was on the line, fear of losing his job. And he says this in verse 15, Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Scourging. Soldiers stripped Jesus naked, tied him down, used a whip called a flagellum which had these steel balls of, of lead and, and spikes attached to the end of these fingers that would come out, these leather straps that would come out. And the whole point of that thing was to literally rip skin and muscle from bone. It was nicknamed the halfway death. A lot of people just died right there. The halfway death because it got you halfway dead. The soldiers then put a short purple cloak and twisted together a crown made of twined wood and thorns and then they shoved it down on his head and then they began to salute him in mockery. Hail, king of the Jews. They did this because the Romans made a mockery of how modest the Jews were. So they found a short cloak barely covering Jesus. Crown of thorns shoved down on his head. Verse 19, and they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. Pilate, beaten, halfway dead Jesus, he presented them to the crowd and he said to them, behold the man. Behold the man. What a spectacle. Now, 
Jesus is taken out onto the coldest and most desolate walk in human history. They, they purposefully did this. It was uh, known as the road of sorrows, the Via Dolorosa, the road of sorrows. And it was this long walk where they would ask you to carry the cross beams. You've heard this story, I know, but please feel it today. 100 pounds, halfway dead, carrying a 100 pound cross beam on the road of sorrow, stumbling over. Mark doesn't say a lot about this moment. He doesn't say a lot about the crucifixion at all because remember Mark was written to first century Roman Christians. All you had to say was crucify and they knew exactly the process. Everybody had watched a crucifixion. That was the point. Do it in front of everyone. Teach them a lesson. This road was a funeral procession. It's the person marching to their death. They would have to carry the cross beam of the cross weighing in, again, 100 pounds. Jesus, who already had torn shoulders, who already had a broken back. There's a moment here that is that we, I think, get mixed up. Now, I, this is me based on what I'm reading. It's, it's logical. I, no one necessarily, in the commentaries I read, no one necessarily said this, but you've got Roman soldiers who hate Jesus. They, they hate the Jews and they hate, and they call him the king of the Jews in mockery. They spit on him, beat him to near death. So this scene is important because I want you to remember that. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. They compelled him. Now, if you've got Roman soldiers who are conquering the known world, to compel someone is not just to have a pleasant conversation with them. They compelled Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. You might be reading this, and at just a glance, you might think, okay, now the Roman soldiers have some compassion on Jesus. They see that it's painful. They see that he can't handle it. There's a person that they gently ask, because we all know Roman soldiers were such courteous people. That's not what happened. Probably what happened was Jesus was so beaten down he probably couldn't walk. And I guarantee you they were so frustrated at the pace. Please feel this with me, I mean. This man was innocent. He couldn't walk. He's too slow. Give me a break, man. Everybody else seems to go faster than him. And here we are walking down this road. We got business to take care of. King of the Jews. Come on. They compelled a man. Will you take the cross for him? Because let's go. <laughs> Jesus stumbling. Falling down. Every criminal on their way to 
a crucified execution, they would have had a plaque carrying their reason for death, what they had been convicted of. Um, And it was always something crazy terrible. Like they would have been used to seeing their plaque that they held over them for more shame, but just in case you didn't know why we're crucifying this person because you need a reason because this is a terrible thing that we're doing. And here's the reason, murderer, rapist, terrorist. This is why I'm going to my... I'm going to be crucified because this is who I am. Jesus read, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. That's his crime. He was innocent. They offered him wine. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, uh, but he did not take it. This is something that would have been given to ease the pain. Um, They would have given it actually in a moment where they thought, I don't know if this person can last and we need them to last. We've got work to do. We need everybody to see them hanging on a cross so that everyone would know. He refused. Jesus wanted to feel the full weight of suffering and keep his head clear. And after all, the work wasn't finished and he had a thief on the cross to save. Jesus was thrown upon the crossbeam. They grabbed spikes. It's not appropriate to say they nailed him. That's not. He was spiked to the cross, his his hands. Then they they picked him up, put him on the crossbeam. His hands are nailed, but he's, he's just hanging there. They drove one through both feet, probably just one spike, we don't know. He was almost dead. And then he would spend hours um, almost dying, coming in and out. And he, he would have to lift him because he would be, I mean, just imagine the suspension. He, he's down, your lungs don't, he's already half dead. And he's probably three quarters dead at this point. He would have to lift himself up just to, and then just to breathe. Work wasn't finished. He experienced unprecedented pain. The most innocent, the worst punishment. The word excruciating was invented out of the cross. It literally means out of the cross. How painful does it have to be to get new words? It's the worst type of degradation imaginable. It was humiliation and evil shame embodied in a single act. Educated Gentiles, educated, like any sort of culture at all, that means that they just like people that had learned about things in the culture, learned about the cross, um, they would have tried to go their whole life without mentioning the word cross. I mean, it was just, even saying the word would have brought shame. One time uh, there was a Roman actor who was kind of in the middle to upper class, and um, he would act and mime. Acting was his job, his career. He would, he would mime situations and things and, and was kind of comedic as well. And so uh, this one moment, he, he mimed a crucifixion of the ch- a chief robber. So he's literally just in a crowd. It's, you know, he's just telling a story. 
And um, this guy named, I hope I get this right, Juvenal, uh, was sort of scribing in that day. And he wrote the story of this man miming a crucifixion. And he said, it was so horrifying and disgusting that anyone of education would mime such an act that I actually think that he himself should go to the cross. Shame. You wouldn't dare talk about a cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? The cross was not cute. That's why Philippians 2.8 becomes a little more clear for us now when it says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. What's happening, man? I mean, please, let's, get, let's shake out of our, like, our ideas, the, the, just the, the stories that, we've, that we can recite, but we don't really feel. What, what is happening here? Really, ask the question, like, what is going on? Why? Why? Why all of this? I mean, what is the reason? There had to be another way, right? Couldn't we just get the same thing accomplished and, but some other way? I mean, couldn't he have just died like a couple hours before or, or maybe just the halfway death been like the full way death? Why? The question I ask that you should be asking too, if he's God, why would he do, endure to this extent and not say literally to hell with it. Why? He had every right to say that and mean it literally. There's something happening here that's different than we can imagine and it's I hate it, but it was the only way. And Jesus knew it. It took the cross. It took the cross for us to even have life. Now he's on the tree, he's on the cross, he's... And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, three hours now. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come take him down. Spectacle. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So far, we've witnessed a terrible thing, an innocent man suffering the worst punishment. But that's actually not the worst of it. It's not the shame. It's not the humiliation, it's not the betrayal. 
It's not the physical brutality. It's not those things that made Jesus cry out in the garden, let this cup pass from me. That's not, I mean, he knew that that would be hard, but that's not why he said, let this cup pass from me. It was what he was about to face. Not physical, shaming, betrayal. It was a what he was about to face in the judgment of the Father on him. That's a different kind of pain. Jesus was about to simultaneously experience the full weight of sin, all sin, and the punishment they deserved. Two things that he had never experienced. God's wrath and God's separation. Jesus literally becomes sin. In all of eternity, the son had never experienced the kind of darkness that came from not having the father of lights. Never experienced the kind of darkness that came from having God's presence removed. In fact, no one had ever experienced that. That was alive. No one on earth had ever experienced the separation of God. God who oversees everything. His presence everywhere. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. They call this a supernatural wonder of darkness. It wasn't like eclipse or it's cloudy. They said it was supernatural. It's also a sign of mourning in the Old Testament. As well in the Old Testament, it's a sign of the curse of God. In Exodus, uh, before that death came over and killed the firstborn in the land, when, when God had sent Moses to deliver his people out of Exodus, darkness covered the land. It was God's judgment, darkness, a curse. In Exodus, they killed the Passover lamb to cover the house of the people of God to escape death and darkness. In that moment, in the darkness, in the supernatural darkness, no light, both spiritually and physically, in that moment, God the Father was in judgment over God the Son because of what we did. And it was all being poured out on him. I say Jesus literally became sin. It, what, he didn't just all of a sudden experience the shame of sin or the guilt of it or the temptation of it or whatever. He'd already been tempted. He resisted. It wasn't that. He literally himself, he became sin. And all of that judgment and wrath that had been stored up, because it has to be. God can't, listen to me. God is love, but he's also just. His justice has to go somewhere. And those two things, neither one can exist without the other. His justice has to go somewhere. And it did. Every single ounce of all of the justice of the creator of the universe poured out in a single moment on one person. He didn't just experience the bitter taste of sin. You understand that? It's not, that's not enough. I can't explain it because it's too far from me. It's too beyond me. He himself became sin. Isaiah 53 talks about it years before Jesus was ever born. He was 
despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. First Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And then Second Corinthians, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of the vile things, thoughts, actions that we have ever done, we as humanity, we as God's people, all of our complete brokenness, every disgusting thought or action, Jesus became those things. He's about to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The darkness of the judgment and separation of the Father. Now listen to me. In an ontological way, the Trinity cannot be broken. It will never be broken. It wasn't broken in this moment. Jesus, the Son, was still the Son eternally. But this is the beauty of the incarnation. God, the Son, became man. And as Jesus, the man, he was separated from God, the Father. Why have you forsaken me? All of that poured out on him. It was what was demanded in order for God's perfect holiness to judge his son. Nobody ever in history had experienced anything like that. What it's like to be completely cut off in total darkness. The Bible describes Jesus as the new Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned, they severed their relationship with God, but God was still very much present in the world. This is a different type of Adam. This is a different type of punishment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is about to die. And he endured it all. The halfway death, the Via Dolorosa, the road of sorrows, the cat of nine tails, like all of that, he endured it all for this moment. The Bible says he, he set his face like flint towards the cross. He just, nothing was gonna keep him from this moment. It could have. He had every right, every right. He had every right to only receive half of it. Well, he had every right to not receive any of it. He had every right, but he just, like flint, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He despised the shame that brought about a crucifixion for a people but he endured it It's for the joy set before him. He's about to die. It was his mission that kept him on the cross to make a way. Here's the mission. To be obedient to the Father. That's important. That's not an aside. That's 
Jesus was obedient to the Father. That's part of his mission. The other part was to make a way for us to be with him, to be with God in eternity. Man, that's love. That's love. He utters the phrase, other gospels record it, Mark doesn't. Mark's pretty quick with this part of the story. Jesus utters the phrase, it is finished. And then he dies. Mission is done. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Notice the detail that Mark describes, the veil being torn, the curtain of the temple. He wants you to understand something. It wasn't torn from bottom to top. A man could do that. It was torn from top to bottom. And you remember when we talked about the temple, how massive it was. It was massive, ornate. This wasn't just a curtain. It took God to tear the veil. The curtain of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the courtyard. This is the place where the ark set. They said it was the mercy seat. It was the place that housed the very presence of God. And one time a year, the high priest could go into the temple, but he had to take a sacrifice with him. He wasn't even allowed. And in that one time a year, he would take the best lamb he could find. He would go into the presence of God with a sacrifice and just hope he makes it out of there alive. And that lamb would be the atoning work, the atoning sacrifice for all the people of God. Well, there is a curtain that separates everybody else from being able to go into God's presence. When Jesus died and breathed his last, God rips it down the seams. Everybody has access. The ultimate sacrifice has been made. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he, he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Everybody has access and it didn't take long for Mark to actualize that fact. I, I, it's kind of neither here nor there, but I, I just think that all of Mark is really pointing to this one moment. The Roman centurion who had no desire whatsoever before this moment to see Jesus as a king or a son of God. A Roman centurion would have been someone who pledged allegiance to Caesar. This centurion would have gone through the ranks, military ranks. It was kind of a high military position. I mean, just imagine like a commander in a United States Special Forces group now. Extremely patriotic. He has seen death. He's seen terrible things. 
He's probably been almost killed. He himself has killed. He's seen really disgusting things on the battlefield, been a part of it. This Roman centurion would have said, along with every other citizen, but he would have pledged to the fact that Caesar is the son of God. And anything outside of that would have been committing treason. When Jesus died, the Roman centurion threw away all of his allegiance, committed treason because of the way that Jesus died. He was convinced, truly, this man is the son of God. I love this. The veil is torn. Welcome in, Roman citizen. Here's the most important thing I think today for us. It takes the death of Jesus on the cross for us to come to that conclusion. It takes the cross. It's, he had heard about his miracles. He had witnessed some. He, his disciples, everybody, nobody believed. At this point, he's the only one that has confessed Jesus as the son of God. We're almost at the end of the gospel of Mark. He's the one that's confessed him. Disciples, gone. Friends, gone. Family, they thought he was insane. Religious leaders said he works for the devil. The Roman centurion confesses he's the son of God. And it tells us this. The centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said then, this man is the son of God. It takes the cross. Listen to me. We cannot follow Jesus. There is no such thing as salvation, just being a fan of Jesus. Just knowing about his deeds, hearing about his good work, all of that. It takes the cross for us to come to saving faith. You can actually be a fan of Jesus and not a follower of him. It's not true faith to be just a fan. Salvation is only possible through the cross. We have to understand, live in, and surrender to the death of God. You are supposed to die that way. This week, I, I mean, it's just Mark in general. I, I feel like Mark is discipling me. I'm, I had to like keep coming back to writing these notes just because you know the pain, but... I'm just aware of something, and I want you to be aware of it too. I want our church to be aware of it. The more I understand Jesus and what he went through, the less I care about my own rights. The less I want to be a consumer. The less I ask the question, are these people meeting my needs? Am I get, the less I ask the question, are my needs getting met at all? the less I think about myself. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I feel it. The more the church means something to me, it's the thing that he purchased. It's his plan. He's just said it, and now we're realizing it. If any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. So that's the invitation today. We're about to take the table. And I wanna invite you full on in this moment 
So don't just hear the story, but I want to invite you to feel it. And as we come to the supper of God, the one that, the last meal that he ate on earth, as we come to it, just remember, feel his body broken for you and his blood poured out. And my invitation for you today is just like, as you're walking down the aisle to take the table, every step, man, let's just take steps of repentance, steps of laying down our rights. I had a moment yesterday where I'm saved, man, I believe that if you are a Christian that there's nothing that can change that, I do believe that. I had a moment yesterday where it just hit me, the reality of what Jesus has done. And in my moment, I just said, Lord, save me. You, you didn't deserve it, I did. I believe I'm saved. But that was my prayer again, just, I don't, I deserve everything that you got and you deserve everything that I got. He gets all the things that we deserve and in turn gives us all the things that only he deserves. Life, seated at the right hand of God. Family, eternal security in him. Forgiveness, he's the only one that deserves that. We get it. Yeah. Let's stand together.